0: The biggest problem with mental issues in society is that we hide it, the stigma around it, and out of that comes the fact that people don't know anything about it, and mental health issues becomes kind of synonym to crazy people.
1: This is the podcast where you meet people who are not similar on the surface. They're not on magazine covers, and they all have different jobs. But like all of us, they've made big choices and ponder the big questions. Learn what makes them tick and what we all share as fellow human beings. This is Get to Know an Average Joe. On this Get to Know an Average Joe, we are going to meet Joran Vidham. And you are a Swede living in Sweden. Yes, Joran?
0: Yes, I live in Gothenburg, the second city of Sweden.
1: A lot of the interviews here on Get to Know an Average Joe are about expats and about why people choose to live in places that they have not grown up or that are not familiar in their culture. But I experience you, having known you for a short time, as somebody who is in many ways not a typical Swede. Can you describe your relationship to being Swedish and living in Sweden?
0: I I very much feel like a foreigner in Sweden. I don't have the Swedish cultural programming. I feel more comfortable in other countries which is kind of strange.
1: Have you ever lived in another country?
0: Not not really lived. I mean I've been staying in another country for a couple of months. I live. I stayed in Australia for like three months once and a couple of weeks in different countries. I, th- I think I'm not really a foreigner in the sense that I belong to another country. I'm a foreigner in the sense that I I don't really belong. And then I can find I'm sort of belonging in some places, and I can feel that in Sweden, too. Sometimes I feel that I belong here, but mostly I'm a traveler passing through, I guess.
1: So what are the characteristics that describe somebody who would belong in Sweden, and how are they different from your characteristics?
0: I would say that Swedes are, they're kind of, we're a nation of introverts. Even if you're an extrovert in Sweden, you're still not as extroverted as an American extrovert, and it takes a long time to build a relationship with Swedish people. We we don't really do acquaintances, or and we don't do strangers at all. You have to kind of get to be friends to really socialize, and I guess that's the biggest difference because I'm not that way. I, I want to talk to everybody I meet all the time. I love being in New York where where you're supposed to do that. That's great. So that's one thing, <clears throat> and another thing is that we're, Swedes are really a lot of Swedes are really talented. We're good at things as a culture. And you can see that. I mean, we built one of the most amazing countries and cultures in the world. Mm-hmm. But we don't talk about
1: that. I, you're right. There's music, there's tech, there's everything here. So, but what do, what do you appreciate about being Swedish?
0: I guess I appreciate living in that country that strives for building the utopia. And not only strive for it, but actually we have a history of... of shaping a really good social order i talked to a friend about this yesterday the the trust in sweden that we can i can buy a ticket on the local commute here in stockholm through my phone and pay it in two months time through an invoice and it's only 30 crowns and somebody's putting a trust in that i like i'm actually going to pay that invoice and not only me but thousands of Swedes are doing this thing with their phone and somebody is trusting us to pay our bills. I don't think you do that in other countries. And that's kind of amazing. And trust isn't only in business. I mean, that's everywhere. It's like a solid bedrock of I believe that you're going to do what you say that you're going to do. And it helps immensely when building a society. Mm. I think that would be the best part of Sweden. But it's not only Sweden. I'd say that's a Scandinavian thing. Mm to be fair.
1: Tell me about the purple bracelet you wear on your right wrist.
0: Uh, I have a bracelet with the word, it's like a metal thing with the a word stamped into it, bipolar. And it's from an organization that wants, us generally in society to speak about mental issues. And especially they want people that have a mental issue to be brave enough to speak about it. Because... The biggest problem with mental issues in society is that we hide it the stigma around it and out of that comes the fact that people don't know anything about it and mental health issues becomes kind of synonym to uh crazy people killing other people or
1: or weakness
0: not yeah weakness or really craziness like dangerous craziness which is so unfair because It's actually the opposite. People with mental health issues are more threatened in society than anybody else. And they're less of a threat than anybody else, according to statistics.
1: When did you learn that you were bipolar?
0: When I was... Depends on the definition of the word, learn. I got the diagnosis when I was really old. I was 37, I think. But I've kind of known. We have like a family curse that I kind of knew that I had. A lot of my older relatives were bipolar, but I didn't have, didn't have the word for it, wouldn't talk about it. That's the stigma again. But I knew that I was kind of weird.
1: What, what is your relationship to being bipolar today, having worn the bracelet and being willing to talk about it and in fact dealing with it in the family that you have now built as well, yes?
0: I, it's, I have a very complicated relationship to it. On the one hand, it's a daily struggle where it's good to know about it, and it's really good to be able to talk about it with people. And I talk with everybody, customers, uh, my colleagues, my boss, people I meet in the street, um, the guy on the train, whatever, because that helps me keep control. And that's a daily struggle. I I need to kind of know where I'm at. Am I going up? Am I
1: going down? Can you describe a day, to interject, there was a day last summer that you posted... In social media, that okay today you started um, man, you started with a run and you cut the grass and you were just like zipping around and doing everything and then you crashed and you described this and it was it was a really moving post and you got a lot of comments on it. Can you describe that day from beginning to end and how you were feeling and what happened?
0: That's weird. I don't even remember this. But I know I know what kind of day you're talking about because I have them regularly. It's this is kind of I was going to go to the strength of this because the strength of this now knowing myself and knowing where I'm at is immense. It's like a superpower. And when I have that when I'm on the roll and I have that feeling now I'm in control and it's not going manic where I kind of feel that too much when I think I can conquer the world. It's in control. That's, that's like a really good high. But it's not. it doesn't have the bad si- aspects of a high because I'm still in control, so I can use it. I can use it to get things done, like when I'm trying to get on top of stuff at my summer cottage or work things. It And it's like everything just lines up. I know exactly what order to do things, what is most important, what will take, how much time things will take. So I just go wham, bam, bam through the list of Of course, I guess. And that's a really good feeling.
1: But how do you do that without completely draining yourself? Because this particular day that you described on social media, you were extremely productive and then drained and just crashed. So how do you avoid doing that? Or can you?
0: I can most of the time. Uh, And that comes out of self-knowledge and self-awareness. And if I keep tabs, but then sometimes I lose that because it's so much fun. And then I crash. But most of the time I can control it. And the way I control it is that when I feel that everything moves too fast, I I I, I put the brakes on. I I go to the gym, I, I make myself tired through exercise, and then I sit down and rest. Like yesterday I had I had a full day of meetings. And in between meetings I was keeping tabs on my mail and I'm involved in lots of projects. So it was lots of small itty bits in different for different clients and in different areas, which is that's is stressful, right, for everybody. Mm. And then I came out of the last meeting and I walked to a church in central Stockholm and I sat down on the grass uh, next to the church, and I just switched off my phone and I switched off my computer and I just sat there for fifteen minutes, not even thinking, just kind of breathing. And when I got up from that, I was ready to do go meet friends and do stuff in the evening without being this manic person that would kind of overwhelm them. So it's small tricks like that and listening to myself.
1: So that sounds like a terrific device, not just for somebody who's bipolar, but for all of us who live in this age of overload of information and stimuli.
0: I'd say that I find that the importance in speaking about mental health issues is that we need to understand that they're not really illnesses they're just variations of the human condition and anybody can learn from knowing more states of the human condition anybody can can mirror themselves in in any human experience so when we shut out something and make it not normal and not worthy to listen to it's not only that we push those people out from society like me I guess but we also lose that knowledge so listening to people that have bipolarism or a ADHD or or autism and listen to their experience and listen to how they handle it is actually a lesson for anybody's life because we all have those we all have those aspects we can all we, all of us can have that day anybody can feel introvert and close off in the way an autistic person feels all the time. They can have that day and they could learn something from the autistic experience and how to handle that. And everybody could have the the attention deficit of a ADHD diagnosed person when they're too much up there's too much going on and they feel overwhelmed by reality. So I guess that's kind of that's one of my main goals with being open mm-hmm. to help start that conversation. Mm-hmm.
1: To br- come back to yesterday, I know how you spent your evening because we met there, but you went to improv comedy. Tell me, what does improv teach you about learning to, learning to be in yourself and learning to be in society?
0: There is an aspect to <coughs> bipolarism that not everybody that is bipolar have, but I have it, and it's a loss of contact with reality you're not sure if you're experiencing what you're experiencing. Is this true? Did that person say that? Have I, this memory I have from yesterday, does, is that really right? Or have I made it up in my own head? And it's sometimes it's very positive. It's like you remember stuff that makes you into a very good guy. And sometimes it's very threatening. You remember stuff that threatens you, that people are mean to you and you kind of fall into thinking that's a true reality, which is very hard to cope with because you start wondering can I trust my own thoughts yeah and for me improv improv when it's good comes from a true place all acting comes from a true place when it's good and to find that true place that is not thoughts but it's your body and your mind your emotions working together and this is true I really feel that this is a true moment in my life to find that through improv makes me better at finding it in real life, because I recognize it not through thinking, but on a visceral level. Uh, So for me, that has been very helpful. And I use it a lot. Like, I improvise my way through reality in many ways. (laughs) And it's not, and some might say that it's a lie, but it's not a lie, because it comes from a true place.
1: Right. And... Then we were talking earlier about whether you're doing improv in Swedish or English, and sometimes you just don't know which language you're operating in, which comes right back to you being, I think, a traveler in your experience of being a Swede.
0: Yeah, I guess. I started reading in English early uh, because I felt that the translations were bad. I remember reading Narnia by C.S. Lewis Mm -hmm. when I was maybe 11 or something, and I hated it, and I talked to somebody that said it was supposed to be a really good book. So, and he said, why don't you look at it in English? And I looked at it in English, and it was really great. And from there on, I decided to never read a book translated to Swedish if I knew the original language. Mm -hmm. Sadly, my French and German isn't really up to par. (laughs) I, I read a little bit in those languages. But anyway, and I think that experience kind of started out this feeling that I'm not necessarily only a Swede. Experiencing, because I read a lot, and literature is immensely important to me. And I also go through theater, and I, I go to the movies, and and I experience a lot of stuff through English. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's very formative.
1: And of course, as, as a participant in improv, you're also creating theater. Um, how much are you creating literature besides appreciating and reading literature. Are you a writer?
0: I'm striving to be. I'm not really. So far, I haven't managed to write something I'm really proud of, (laughs) which is a bummer. But I have high expectations. Uh, I wrote almost a novel two years ago, a science fiction novel about a man who was a prisoner in his own mind. As a reader, you don't know if he's a computer program or if he's a human being, which was kind of the point. It's in many ways an autobiography. And I I think I'm going to finish that because I really like some of the writing and the main idea is kind of awesome, but I haven't managed to write it good enough yet, so I need to start over and make it better.
1: I know we've been talking already about a day that's full of highs and lows, but if you were to be able to organize... A day that you characterize as fantastic. What are the elements that you put into that?
0: I've almost had it this summer, and not only once, but many times. I would be with somebody I appreciate, even love, at my cabin in the woods. Rather one person or possibly two or three than a big group of people. And I would start the day getting up really early going down to the lake and and starting up my wood burning stove in my sauna and then I would go out for a run and this is before everybody else wakes up so when I get back from the run I can wake everybody up and tell them that the sauna is hot and ready and then we'd spend some time in the sauna and swimming in the lake and then getting back and eating a, an American breakfast like lots of eggs and lots of bacon together and then we'd go out into the woods and look for mushrooms. I just love being in the woods. And the the treasure hunt aspect of finding mushrooms is also, it's a good way of being in the woods.
1: It's a good way of being a Swede. Yeah. And also,
0: I know exactly where the mushrooms are. So it's not that much of a thrill for me. But to invite a friend into that, uh, the happiness of finding them. And I, I often... Don't tell them that I know where they are. So I'm kind of, we're walking along and I say, maybe you should look in there about 100 meters into the woods. It looks like it's the right kind of of forest there. And then they get to find the mushrooms. And I really love to. It's a gift that I love to give people. And then we get back and we rinse the mushrooms and we put them on the stove. And then we put together a dinner, uh, like a barbecue, Swedish style, in the garden. And we drink wine and we talk about life. I think that would be the perfect day.
1: Before we wrap up, you mentioned spending a day with somebody you love. You have been married for how many years?
0: 27.
1: What is that like to be married for 27 years?
0: I was lucky, I guess. I married early. We met in high school. But I married my best friend. Uh, And actually, we, we were friends before we started dating. Really close friends. We helped each other through hard stuff. And then we kind of realized that maybe we should be dating. So the the main building block in our relationship is that firm friendship where we have each other's back. And I think that has helped us a lot because we've struggled. We've struggled with my illness. We've struggled. My illness made me go bankrupt. We almost lost the house and we've had we have had our ups and downs. And also the normal things that every couple goes through.
1: Absolutely. I think marriage is so daunting. Of course, it's you are fortunate to find somebody you want to spend, I think, the boring moments with. I really admire somebody who's been able to stay together for 27 years.
0: But this, the trick for us have been that even if we don't love each other at one moment in a romantic sense or if... We even kind of hate each other, or we've been hurt by each other, or that. there's been a lot of that at times. But we've always been able to to walk ourselves back to that first aspect that this is my best friend. Mm-hmm. So this problem that I have with this person A could be solved through talking to this person B about it, who is a close friend of mine. And that person A and B is the same person. That doesn't really factor, which is kind of weird, but it's improv, right? <laughs> And then we realize that, wow, this is the person I like having a conversation with most in the world. So that other problem becomes a lot less important. I mean, kind of systemize this because I'm, I'm not only an improviser, I'm also a, a fan of Excel sheets and, and <laughs> plans and structure. So we have something we call state of the union, which is that we take a walk once a week, for about an hour, 45 minutes an hour. And that time is for us talking about our relationship. And it means that we never have to say we really need to talk. And it's very comfortable because that threatening thing where you need to bring something up, we have taken that out of the equation. I like that.
1: Thank you for these moments and this, uh, this conversation that spanned all sorts of, uh, it spanned comedy and relationships and mental illness.
0: Yeah, and some Excel matrixes, too.
1: Yoran <laughs> Vitam, thank you for joining Get to Know an Average Joe. Thank you. In our next episode, we go vegan. For me, when it comes to meat, it, it wasn't a cause when I started eating vegan. Uh, it was literally just something I was going to try out because I wasn't feeling very good, and somebody suggested it, and I just felt amazing. Get to know Cheryl Olibrand on the next Get to Know an Average Joe. Thanks for listening. And now, if you'll excuse me.